you have a Bible with you this morning, would you open to John chapter 14? John 14, kicking off a new sermon series this morning on the Holy Spirit. It is my hope to introduce Him to you in maybe some ways that you've never thought about before. So we're going to be spending several weeks with the Holy Spirit. Bring your Bible with you. You're going to need it. John 14, I'm going to start in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, skip with me to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we get the privilege of looking closely, deeply at the Holy Spirit, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have for us. Some of what we're going to talk about will push against tradition. Some will push against our past. Some of the things that we're going to talk about will stretch us into some possibly uncomfortable places. I pray you make us pliable. Because what we're talking about, who we're talking about, wow, there's power. There is power. And so I pray, Father, that we will pay close attention. I'm asking that in Jesus' name, and I'll continue doing so as we go through this whole series. Amen. There was a lady named Mrs. Thompson that was a teacher of fourth grade boys Sunday school. She had been for a long time, and she was gifted at it. But one week, the director of their Sunday school program came to Mrs. Thompson and said, I need you to, to do something next week that's maybe going to be a little bit uncomfortable. It just fits in our curriculum, and, and so I, I need you to do it. Of course, Mrs. Thompson was curious about that, and she said, well, what are you asking me to do? She said, I want you to teach your class about the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine teaching fourth grade boys about the Holy Spirit? Mrs. Thompson's kind of a Rita Lampton type of teacher and character in nature. She is up to any challenge and she is always willing. So Mrs. Thompson said, all right, I'll do it. But she was worried. She was nervous about it. And she spent the entire week trying to figure out how do you communicate the Holy Spirit to fourth grade boys? And she came up with a brilliant idea. She decided to use a pretzel to illustrate who the Spirit is and how it all works. So she took her pretzel and she stood in front of her fourth grade boys and she said a pretzel is made up of a single braided piece of dough and it forms three holes. She said it's very much like God. The entire pretzel is very much like God. She said over here you have God the Father. And over here, you have God the Son. And over here, down here, you have 
the Holy Ghost. And all three of them are made up of that single strand of dough. That's the way the Trinity works, and that's the way the Holy Ghost fits into the midst of the Trinity. All these little fourth grade boys are sitting in front of Mrs. Thompson, and boy, she's just feeling like she has got their attention. Not one of them is looking away. Not one of them is distracted. It is a fourth grade boy's Sunday school teacher's dream, and she's loving every minute of it. So as they're looking at her, just enthralled in what she's talking about, she decided to have them repeat after her exactly how this works. So they did. They all said, it's a single strand of braided dough. And she put her finger over here and said, now what's this represent? She said, that's God the Father. She put her finger over here and said, what's this whole represent? And they all said together, that's God the Son. And then she put her finger down here and she said, now what's this one represent? And together they all said, that is God the Spirit, that's the Holy Ghost. And man, at that moment she thought, I am possibly the best teacher ever, ever. Now Rita Lampton would never do that, but Mrs. Thompson did. And then she got greedy. She got greedy. And she thought, I'm going to have one of my fourth grade boys do this themselves and that'll just drive this point home. She looked over to her right, and little Johnny was sitting to her right. She said, Johnny, would you like to do this and, and show everybody how this works? Just do it on your own. And little Johnny, you know how he can be. Little Johnny said, yeah, I'll do it. And he popped up and took the pretzel in his hand, and he said, it's a single strand of dough, like a little fourth grade boy would. And he put his finger over here, and he said, this hole right here, this hole, that's, that's like God the Father. And then he stuck his finger over here and he said, this hole, that's, that's like God the Son, that's Jesus. Man, he's preaching now. He's got a good wind in him. And then little Johnny came to this bottom hole and he stuck his finger in there and, and he couldn't remember. I mean, he was stuck. He was just stuck. And so little Johnny kind of stutters his way around a little, med, a little bit and he said, and this hole down here, that's, that's the holy smokes. <laughs> that's, that's all he could come up with. That was the holy smokes. I don't remember when I first heard that illustration. I've heard it from several different preachers, probably used it myself at different times. And I really like it because it kind of captures the way most of us would come about trying to explain the Trinity. And it really captures the way most of us would handle trying to explain the, the Holy Ghost. We'd get down to that hole and we'd say, that's the holy smokes. I don't know how to try to explain this. I don't know how to try to help other people understand who this is. The Holy Ghost has been a, an incredibly confusing part of the Trinity for a long, long time. People have struggled in all kinds of different churches and denominations to wrap their minds around who He is. And it continues to be a struggle today. I can take my own background and apply it to that struggle. Now, you know this about me. I, I've been in the church all my life, born on Tuesday and church on Sunday. I've, I've always been in church. I had parents that made sure that happened. And even in the days when I didn't want to go to church as a teenager, Dalton Allspaugh didn't give any flexibility on that. And today I am so thrilled that he didn't because he told my brother and I, there's no excuse, none whatsoever. You'll be in church we might whine and cry about it, but Dad said, you'll be in church. I'm glad he did. So I've been in church all my life. And to the best of my memory, 
There are two churches that really spoke into who I was during my formative years. We joined the first one, Westlink Christian Church, Wichita, Kansas, when I was five years old. We had been in some others living in Oklahoma prior to that, but I don't remember them. So I really remember Westlink Christian Church in Wichita, Kansas. Gene Carlson's preacher, I am forever indebted to Westlink Christian Church and the way they spoke life into me. Then there was Crossroads Christian Church, Hutchison, Kansas. Spent my last two years of high school there. Wayne Pittman was the preacher and Craig Tucker was my youth minister. And I am forever indebted to Crossroads Christian Church and the way they spoke life into me and helped me know who the Lord is. But in both of those situations, as I look back on them, Westland Christian Church and Crossroads Christian Church, and man, I've been racking my brain for weeks now, I cannot remember much of any teaching about the Holy Spirit. They helped me understand who God the Father is, and thankfully they helped me understand who God the Son is. They introduced me to Jesus Christ, and I am forever grateful. And though I heard them mention the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, I can't remember much of any teaching. There wasn't much. That is not a criticism. That is not a judgment, because listen to me, I am forever indebted to those churches, and I love them passionately. That's just the way it was. It's not a criticism. It's just the way it was. When I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college and loved my time there, and I learned a great deal about God the Father, and I learned a great deal about God the Son. But as I look back on my four years at Manhattan Christian College, though we talked about the Holy Ghost, we talked about the Holy Spirit, I didn't hear much about Him. And what I did hear was very theological in nature. The things that I did hear were a long ways from a personal application. When I took some theological classes and the, the issue of the third member of the Trinity came up, he was referred to with terms like this. Take a look at this. Pneumatology. Boy, doesn't that sound personal? Isn't that intriguing? Hey, we're going to talk about pneumatology now. Well, that's got your attention when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. If you don't know what pneumatology is, here's an explanation of it. The branch of Christian theology concerned with the Holy Spirit. That's what pneumatology is. So that's how I studied the Holy Spirit in Bible college. Now, if you want to Google pneumatology, you can, and it's going to pop up on your screen right away, and you'll even find that definition. But keep going in your Google search because you'll find questions like this. Why is pneumatology important? That will show up in your Google search as well. And here's the good news about it. You'll find an answer to this question that looks like this. Various contemporary theologians grant the Spirit as authority to govern the church, to liberate oppressed communities, and to create experiences associated with faith. Now, at first glance, this definition will still leave you just saying, huh, that is far from personal. It sounds really theological. It sounds really boring. It sounds like the kind of thing that I, I don't want to get into. And the first two parts of this answer to that question of why pneumatology is important really can leave you right there. Take a look at them again. Here's the first one. 
Various contemporary theologians grant the Spirit as authority to govern the church. Now, if you're a preacher, if you're an elder, if you're a leader in the church, that might resonate with you. But for the average person that's just coming to church and looking to grow closer to who God is, not only in knowledge but in experience, this is going to leave you wanting. So will the second part of the definition. Take a look at that. Various contemporary theologians grant the Spirit as authority to govern the church to liberate oppressed communities. That might sound a little bit inspirational, but it's still a long ways from personal. Unless you lived in an oppressed community, however you might define that, this will just leave you wanting a little bit more, a little more understanding, something that touches us a little more personally. But if you stay with this whole definition and you power all the way through, you find out that the Holy Spirit is responsible for something else in your life. Take a look at the third one. Various contemporary theologians grant the Spirit as authority to govern the church, to liberate oppressed communities, and to create experiences associated with faith. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. To create experiences associated with faith. I didn't understand that until after I had graduated from Bible college. Truth be told, I probably didn't understand that until three, four, five years after I graduated from Bible college. I'd been walking with the Lord a long time. I'd been with Jesus a long time before I really began to understand who the Holy Spirit was until I began to have experiences associated with the faith that could, my faith, that could only be attributed to the third member of the Trinity. And ever since then, I have longed for and anticipated the next experience and the next opportunity to be with Him. And over and over and over and over and over again, too many times, to count and certainly too many to recount for you. I have had experiences in my faith that are only connected to the Holy Spirit or attributable to the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome. And once you know that, once you have that in your background, you will only want to know more about who He is. It is my goal in these coming weeks to show you some of those things that are only attributable to Him so that you will see the footprints of the Spirit in your life, so that you will see the effects of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, in your life. It is not my goal for us to look at who He is theologically. It is my goal for us to look at Him very personally, because I want you to know Him the same way you know God the Father and the same way you know God the Son. A few weeks ago, as I was thinking about putting this series together, this thought resonated in my mind. Years from now, I don't want anybody to say, I went to Libby Christian Church and I learned about God the Father and I learned about God the Son, but I never heard much about God the Spirit. I don't want people to say that, because I want you to know the whole of the Trinity. In order for us to do that and to get this whole series moving, we need to fix some things, though. Misconceptions and misideas and misunderstandings 
of who the Spirit is. So we're going to fix some things. And we're going to start today by fixing some issues within our language as they come to, to fruition and come to a head with the person of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start with the noun. That's it. We're going to start with the noun. And some of you are thinking, oh, this is awesome. We're going to have an English lesson. I, I thought we were going to make this personal. We are, but we need an English lesson to make it personal. You may have noticed from beginning to right here, right now in this message, I have been bouncing around between two different titles for the Holy Spirit. I started out by using the term the Holy Ghost. Did you catch that? And then every once in a while I would switch over to saying the Holy Spirit and then I would go back to Holy Ghost. That's the way a lot of people approach this third member of the Trinity. They're not exactly sure how to define Him. They're not exactly sure how to put a title to Him. And that Holy Ghost title has caused a great deal of confusion for the better part of 400, 500 years. And today, especially when we hear the term Holy Ghost attached to the Trinity, it can leave people either curious or so completely disconnected that they never go into finding out who He really is. So let's clean this up just a little bit. The term Holy Ghost goes back to 1611 when the King James Version of the Bible was printed. That's where Holy Ghost comes from. Now, you have to understand that in the original language, ghost and spirit are the same words. And so the editors and those that were translating the King James Bible weren't doing anything wrong. The words are interchangeable. They were all right in their translation. They didn't make a mistake. However, it has caused a lot of confusion. If you're holding a King James Version of the Bible, you will find out, watch this, that the word ghost, we'll put it up here on the screen, the word ghost is used 90 different times in reference to the Holy Spirit. But the word spirit, we'll put it up as well, is only used seven times in the King James Version of the Bible. And the King James Version is the predominant version that does this. Most modern translations, there are a few exceptions, and the majority of people don't even know what those translations are. The majority of translations will only use the term Holy Spirit. They don't use ghost. So that goes back to 1611. Now, the curious thing about that is still why the editors, even though it was okay to use that word because ghost and spirit are interchangeable, it is okay within the original languages. They did not make a mistake, but why would they do that? Because during that time, the word ghost meant an immaterial being, an immaterial being. Now, all that really means is it was a being without body or form. That's really all that means. But today, as we look at that original meaning, an immaterial being, we may very well find ourselves saying, how come they called the Holy Spirit immaterial 90 times? 
That's the way in our language today we would process that. And that would be a mistake because that's not what they meant. They weren't trying to take anything away from the Trinity. They weren't trying to take anything away from the Spirit. It was just the language of the day. Now, this might help give you a little bit of perspective on it. That was also the time that Shakespeare was writing. So if you have ever been confused by Shakespeare's writing, let me take a little poll. How many of you have been confused by Shakespeare's writing? Thank you very much. How many of you just think to yourself on a Friday night, man, I would love to grab a book of Shakespeare's writings and sit down with a cup of coffee and just go to reading? Wow. You know what? I'm just not going to say anything else because I could get myself in serious trouble. Good on you. Good on you. All three of you. You could have a support group. When you take Shakespeare's language and you look at it within King James, you can understand why at times the King James translation of the Bible is difficult for us to unpack as well, because the language is like that. Shakespearean language bleeds over to the King James translation of the Bible. But here was their intent. Take a look. In the days of Shakespeare King James, ghost meant the living essence of a person. That's what they were trying to get across by using the word ghost, the living essence of God. Continue to study it out, you'll discover this. But as language evolved, people started saying ghost when speaking of the vision of a dead person, while spirit became the standard term for life or living essence. So over the course of about 300 years, there was this shift away from ghost to spirit, not only in translation, but in teaching as well. Preachers were still tied to utilizing Holy Ghost, but then they would start explaining Holy Spirit because it brought in a different meaning, the essence of the living God. So language began to shift, and then we started getting different translations, and ghost went away, and spirit rose to the top. And today, most of the Bibles that you hold in your hand are going to use the term Holy Spirit. But in meaning and in understanding, a lot of people are still stuck back in 1611. They're still thinking of, of the Holy Spirit as this immaterial being that we give little thought to because we're not sure how to explain him. We're not sure how to describe who the Spirit is. So we just leave it as this immaterial thing, when in reality, the Holy Spirit is the living essence of God. I love that. I love that. So clean up your nouns. And that means leave behind the 1611 language. Stop thinking about him as a ghost and think about him as the Spirit. Holy Spirit. But then, if we're going to continue to clean up our language so that we can really understand who the, the Holy Spirit is, we have to clean up our pronouns too. And there's a lot of confusion that gets attached to the Spirit because people don't know how to describe the Holy Spirit. They will attach the wrong pronoun and refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. And the Holy Spirit is not an 
it. That's tying back to the idea of the Holy Ghost, something that is so mysterious we can't really explain it or understand it. So we have to clean up our pronouns. Thankfully, Jesus helps us do that. So this doesn't take much at all. Let's go back to John 14. If you still have your Bible open in your lap, I'm going to read for you the exact same passage we read just a few minutes ago, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the cleanup on the pronoun. We'll keep going because I want to make sure that we drive these things home. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." So Jesus takes care of this issue. There's no, no need to expound on it anymore. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he uses these pronouns, him and he. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we need to personalize him by using the same pronouns, him and he. It helps us understand exactly how the Trinity works. Although it may still be a little confusing, it gives some clarity. The Holy Spirit's pronouns, him and he, because he is a person. He is deity. He is all the things of the Trinity. So we use the right pronouns. So once we've cleaned up our nouns, and once we've cleaned up our pronouns, we're going to do something really cool today. And we're going to take a, another step into language. As we close this out, we're going to utilize the original language to show you something really remarkable about the Holy Spirit. Starting with verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, he used the right pronouns, he and him, but then he uses this other word to describe him. It is a descriptor. He says, peace I leave with you. That is a descriptor of the Holy Spirit. I learned something last week while Gary Shear was preaching that just kind of rattled me, but in the best of ways. While Gary was up here sharing on Sunday morning, he made this statement, that in the original Hebrew language, the word peace means wholeness. Wholeness. Are you with me? Wholeness. And he said it has always meant that. So even as it carried over into the Greek language, the word peace meant wholeness. So back in John chapter 14, verse 27, that we were just reading, Jesus is speaking to the disciples 12 hours before the crucifixion, right after he told them that he was going away. 
And they were deeply troubled and deeply bothered by it because for the last three years, they had traveled with him. They had been with him. They had listened to him. They had been a part of what he was doing. And now he's telling them that he's leaving. So in their minds, as they process his absence, there's an emptiness within them. And so Jesus speaks to that and says, you don't understand. When I leave, and I have to leave in order for this to happen, I am sending wholeness to you. You have me with you when we are in the same proximity, but I am going to grant to you wholeness through the person of the Spirit so that you will never experience that empty aloneness ever again. Wholeness is coming to you. And I have to leave in order for you to know that. Now, we read John 14, 27, and we see the word peace. And we believe, because of the way our minds work in modern English language, that all that means is an absence of conflict. The word peace means an absence of conflict. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus is saying, when I leave and the Spirit comes, wholeness will be with you, and He already said it, in you. So when we look at that in the original languages, we begin to understand a bit more of the role of the, ow, I bit my tongue, the role of the Spirit in our lives. It is wholeness. Isn't that a cool thing? I'm never alone. That's this wholeness that God promises us through the Spirit. But there is a progression of understanding in original languages that will take it a whole lot further. For a number of people, that wholeness, that peace that comes with the Holy Spirit, that's all they ever want. They felt empty and alone and they were looking for something deeper and they came to know the Lord and that wholeness came into them and cool, that's all I want. I don't want any more. But my friends, if that's all you want, and it's okay if it is, but it's also tragic because there is something much bigger in the Spirit. Go with me to the book of Acts, will you? Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. Heading in my Bible is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is 40 days later, 40 days after Jesus promised them peace, wholeness. He's now saying that the Spirit's coming. He's coming. I told you about it 40 days ago. I haven't changed. He's coming. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still a little confused. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go back with me to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We have another descriptor of the Spirit. That is, say it with me, power. In the original language, that word is dunamis. Dunamis. You know what English word we get from dunamis? Dynamite. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive this type of power. You are going to receive dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive dunamis, dynamite, explosive power. Now, you've already received peace, wholeness, but I'm telling you, Jesus says that you're going to receive dunamis power. If you're a note taker, maybe down in the bottom of your Bible, you want to write power, dunamis, dynamite, and maybe you even want to put the Holy Spirit in there. Very quickly after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, when the Holy Spirit came, they experienced it. They experienced it. Have you read on Acts chapter 2? Take a look at this. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we go on to the, the sharing of the message of Peter at Pentecost. Can you imagine as they were sitting around that room, all of them saying, Jesus wasn't kidding. That's dunamis. That's power as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And we might say, well, okay, that worked for the apostles, but we don't experience that same type of power. Divided tongues don't come and, and rest on us, and there isn't lightning and all those things. Well, let me show you some dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to go to Galatians chapter 5 to see it. Galatians 5. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now get ready, here comes the dunamis power of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now carry this illustration of dynamite right into Galatians chapter 5. And here's what you discover. When the Holy Spirit comes on a person's life, that dynamite power of the Spirit has the ability to blow out all these things of the flesh 
And it leaves this empty spot within us. But when it blows out those things of the flesh, it invites in the things of the Spirit. So we get rid of these fleshly things and we replace them with Spirit-led things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's dynamite that removes one thing and brings in something else. That's dunamis power of the Spirit. And there's some people that, that would think to themselves, man, I can't imagine a life governed by love or joy or peace. By the way, different word for peace. Or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control. Well, my friends, you can experience that through the dunamis power of the Spirit unto wholeness. Isn't that cool? That's the Holy Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit. He does that in our lives. I want to leave you with 16 dunamis facts. That's what I called it. 16 dunamis facts about the Holy Spirit. We'll put them up on the screen for you, and they're going to come really fast. Here you go. Number one, he possesses all the attributes of God. Number two, he is interested in transforming us from the inside out. Number three, he baptizes us into the universal body of Christ. Number four, he indwells all who have been converted. Number five, he seals us, keeping every believer securely in the family of God. Number six, there are scars he wants to remove. Number seven, there are fractured feelings he wants to heal. Number eight, there are insights he longs to reveal. Number nine, there are profound dimensions of life he would dearly love to open up. Number 10, the Spirit is the comforting helper. Number 11, he is the truth teacher. Number 12, the will of the Father revealer. Number 13, the gift giver. Number 14, the hurt healer. Number 15, he is the inextinguishable flame of God. And number 16, he is God. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to be sure and give credit for those 16 things where it belongs. Charles Swindoll put that list together. I just had the privilege of learning from him about it. 16 dunamis facts about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at a lot of those in the coming weeks. I hope you'll be with us. I really do. And I hope you meet the Spirit like you maybe have never met Him before. But if you need some of that dunamis power in your life today, I want to encourage you to respond to our invitation as Ray gives it in just a minute. Go over to this prayer room. Maybe it's the, the first time you've ever met the Spirit. Go over there and tell Deanie you, you want to talk more about that. Maybe you need to be baptized. Tell him that. And maybe you just have some things in your life that, that need a little bit of dynamite in them. And you need to pray with somebody about it so that the Spirit can really work. Maybe you need to pray that you get out of the way so the Spirit can work. Maybe you're praying about things in other people's lives, but you need a little bit of dynamite to get in there. Just go over and tell Deanie that you need to pray with somebody. He'll make sure you get to. Why don't you stand and we'll pray together. Father, thank you for the Spirit. All the time, we, we thank you for your Son. And we should. Because he's our, he's our means to knowing you, but He's also our means to knowing the Spirit. Today, thank you for the Spirit. 
these things that He does in our life are they're so powerful. And we should long for Him every day. I pray we will. Right now in this moment, my prayer is for those that need to meet Him for the first time. So that they can meet your Son and know you. I pray they will today. In Jesus' name, amen.